This is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are in Luke today. And um, as I've said many times, Luke is divided up into three different segments. And uh, in the first segment, uh, Jesus calls his disciples and Luke lines out how uh, Christ is born and establishes him as the Messiah and uh, he's basically telling this story for Gentiles. Then in the last section, especially the passion play that mirrors Matthew and Mark, but then we've got this segment in the middle where Luke takes all the notes, it seems like, from, his, uh, from, from all of Jesus' teachings that people have saved and told him and reported to him and he puts them together in kind of a chronological order but really it's more thematically collected. And we are in the middle of that now and we are three chapters away from ending this section on notes and then getting into the Passion Play and it'll get back to a historical uh, 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 recitation of Christ's life. Um, 16 is, is interesting. It's like, you know, he keeps organizing these uh, uh, parables and these teachings uh, together thematically so that they all kind of go together. And I think chapter 16 was, this is all the weird stuff Jesus said. Because after every one of them, you go, what? <laughs> Yeah, and, and, it, and, and you really have to take it and put it into context to understand what he, was, what he was trying to say. And in each one of them, there are whole denominations that have built weird theologies around what Christ said there, you know. And uh, so it can be a little tricky. And um, it, yeah, so there are three different uh, teachings. There's two parables, and uh, the first one is called the shrewd manager, and then there's one called additional teachings, which just should be called divorce, and then there's the rich man and Lazarus, and uh, there are all kind of references in the rich man and Lazarus that don't seem right, and so we need to figure out what all that means. So, jumping in at the top, uh, this is Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Yes, ma'am? I bet she would not get into that. <sighs> would you like to read ch chapter 16, verse 1 through 15? Sure. With, with I needed that laugh today. With expression and feeling. <clears throat> All right. You have to read I like need a dramatic recitation in. <laughs> you know, okay. Read like, a, yeah, read like <clears throat> Captain Kirk where you pause between each sentence. Don't listen to him. <laughs> listen exactly. Don't listen <laughs> to him. I, I am an orator. Yeah. All right. This is Andrew Yeck for the life class, so I'm going to read to you. <clears throat> Starting with verse 1, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions so he called him and asked him what is it i hear about you give me an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer the manager said to himself what should i do now my master is taking away my job i'm not strong enough to dig and i'm ashamed to beg oh no 
Sesame Street episode. I <laughs> leave him alone. He's doing fine. <laughs> Carry on. Carry on. I know. Why am I going to do Shut up. <laughs> Nathan, it's all you. <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> I'm I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their house. So he called in each. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, "How much do you owe my master?" Nine hundred gallons of olive oil," he replied. The manager told him, "Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it four hundred and fifty." Then he asked the second, "How much do you owe?" A thousand brushels of wheat. Bruchels. Thank you, brushels of wheat. He replied. He told him, "Take your bill and make it eight hundred." The master commanded the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. There we go. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcome into eternal dwellings. Whoever could be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. That was good emphasis. <laughs> so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly health, wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you your you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this, and they were sneering at Jesus. <laughs> and he said to him, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. There you go. Very nice. Hey, don't don't question the interpretation. If you want to do better later, fine. Hey, you said put emotion behind it. Okay. So, at first glance, when you read this, Christ is saying that you should be deceitful in business and cheat your boss, and then when you get caught, the best thing that you can do is cheat your boss some more. Amen. What? <laughs> you can see how this is kind of a difficult passage. Yeah. Um, I think it, it, it's a parable. Remember that. This didn't actually and literally happen. He's telling a story to illustrate a point. And that's going to be true of the next one too. But uh, remember, as we have discussed before, when the Pharisees, uh, the, the, how they viewed money, uh, they thought that God blessed the blessed and that if you were good in God's sight, God was going to, of course, make you better. So he's going to give you money and he's going to bless you with wealth. And if you were poor, it's because you had sin in your life and God was punishing you by being poor and diseased and whatnot. So it justified their actions in snobbing all, uh, in, in not giving charity 
and uh, letting people stay in their station and classifying their society. Please hand Mr. Yek the no, are you talk, no, no, I got Are you talking about this parable or you talk about modern Christian television? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of the human condition, isn't it? They don't need to build a satellite to send to space, so we have to send all our money to. Uh, I, we haven't gotten that far. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Sure. Okay. I okay. It is. Yeah. There is that a. Was a commentary on my part, by the way. I, I I think we still kind of see that. You know, the guy in the best suit is the one who's most trustworthy. You know, uh, politicians have used that trick for years. Preachers have used that trick for years. Uh, I come from a denomination where you can tell, you know, how big a church a man is by how expensive his suit is. Anyway, uh, not this church. No, oh, the tennis shoes. Oh, yeah. Uh, don't get me started. Anyway, I guess I don't know what what. I can't believe I got arrested for impersonating a politician. I was just sitting around doing nothing. Ha, 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 Okay, so Christ tells this story. And what we have is a manager. He's a house steward. So that's what most people interpret that to be. So we got this rich guy, and he's got a big house, and there's a lot of people in the house. He's got a lot of servants. So this is guy is the head butler, basically, who orders all the other servants around. He's working for the boss, but he's the, the, the guy that's in charge of the household. And he has fallen in. Uh, the, 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 the boss has decided that he's crooked. And he has either been skimming off the top and, and keeping some of the money for himself that should be going into the rest of, of the business, or he has been foolish in managing the business and he's made poor decisions and he has frittered the money away. You know, he's either been crooked or an idiot. And frankly, in the real world, it doesn't really matter which you are, both are gonna get you fired. Uh, and having worked in the real world, this feels really, I, I, I feel like this has happened in my life. Anyway, uh, he gets caught, and the boss calls him in and said, get your accounts together. I need to see what you're doing. And he knows he's about to get fired. Okay? So what does he do? He's planning ahead. He is a scoundrel. You can kind of see he's a scoundrel here. He knows he's about to get fired, so he's planning for the future. What happens after I get fired? I don't want to end up begging, uh, and I certainly wouldn't want to you know, get my hands dirty. Oh, my goodness. So what can he do? So what he does is he calls in people that owe his boss money, and he cuts their debt in half, which basically cheats his boss out of half of their payment, you know, uh, but, but he make, ingratiates himself to the debtors. That way, when he gets fired, he's their buddy now, and he can go cash in on that one way or another. He can go either get a job with them, or he can get a loan from them. He's done them a big old solid, so he's going to try to get a favor to come back in the other direction. And then Christ tells this story that I, I have a hard time believing would happen in the real world. The boss comes in and says, you're pretty smart, you little thief. Very Machiavellian. Maybe the boss was just as unscrupulous as the you know, thieves, there's great company among thieves. 
said the boss was an unscrupulous unscrupulous yes i was repeating for the microphone oh you were oh i thought you were just testing the pronunciation what my my study my study things in my study part can't hear you have to yell louder my study part if this helps i don't know whether it's true it's giving several options of what this really means and one of them is that there's a thought that the manager in a common practice back then as the manager of his accounts would charge extra interest to the customers to make extra money. Right. And he just cut that interest out in order to lower it so he could get that. Plus, also to make them his friends so he can go live with them. He dropped this thing by 50%. If that was interest, he had some serious interest well, on that. Was that oh, I see. Unscrupulous. Um, <laughs> yes, Kenny. Kenny. Do, do you not know what a loan shark is? <laughs> a loan shark. And I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just saying that's one of the options that they want. Because my, the person who wrote my study notes says this is a very confusing text of scripture. I know. And he said that was maybe, maybe one of the issues, but also the one that you had just said before that as well. Susan, you're up against me. I just want to say that the manager didn't praise the guy for robbing him of money. He praised him for his shrewdness in thinking ahead how to take care of himself. And uh, and as I said, um, Jesus was saying how people of the world would use money that way to think ahead and take care of themselves and their families, and they're shrewd that way more than people of the light because they know the world system enough to how to take care of themselves and their families. And as Christians, we need to think, okay, how can I use the money for the Lord for eternity so when I go to heaven, I'll have friends up there and places to dwell in with my friends, you know? That's pretty much the point. Susan, you're getting so far ahead of me. See, I was about to say that, and now you jump in there, and what have I got? Now, now I've got nothing to teach. <laughs> now it's Nathan's turn yeah, to say something. Yeah, you it, it's it's the I trick is we get sucked we we get sucked into the story and the story isn't the point. The, it's it's the, the how they approach money, and he's saying that money is not the point because remember who he's te who he's preaching to. He's preaching to Pharisees that are literally using money to measure God's favor. They worship money more than they worship God. They're basically have made money an idol. And, and, and he is addressing that. And here, the manager, the, the boss, is not measuring money as being the point. It's, it's the manager who's the point. And he's using money in order to better his relationship with the people around him. And I believe what he's saying in this particular uh, parable is that Christians, if we're going to behave correctly, need to not, not focus on money, but use money as a tool to better God's kingdom. It, we're, we're investing in the future, in God's kingdom. In uh, Proverbs 19.7, it, it's 19.17, it says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. And I'm getting a uh, 16 inch pizza. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> what? what? Are you my story? I think you better reiterate. 
Well, I was going down the road the other day, and I never, ever do this, but I saw this guy, and he had all these satchels and stuff, oh. and he was walking, and I thought, if I see him again, I'll pick him up. Well, I did. I saw him again. I never, ever pick people up. That That's dangerous. I know. <laughs> no! I pulled to the side of the road. I pulled to the side of the road. And I, weird, scruffy ones with baggage. Yeah, yeah and by telling this, I'm losing my blessing, I also understand. So okay, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Go on, go on. But anyway, he, he gets in, and first he says, could you move a little further off the highway, please? And he was, he was right. He was being safe, so I did that. Then he put on a, a mask, like, for, for health's sake. And so I thought, be identified. Well, I <laughs> I'm sorry. You got to give him that one. Okay. You threw a softball. All right. All right. Yeah, that was too easy. I, right, you. I said, where are you headed? He said, Greenville. And I said, well, we're almost there. I said, where are you going after Greenville? He said, Texarkana. I said, well, then... I'll just swing you by McDonald's. Do you have any money? Of course he didn't. I said, pick you up a burger, and then you can go on to Texarkana. And he said, do they have a Little Caesars? <laughs> and I said, I don't even know. Let me look and see. So I looked at my phone. Sure enough, we have a Little Caesars. I didn't know that. So I took him to Little Caesars, and he said, could you please get me cheese? I don't like pepperoni. I said, sure. So I walked in. I said, I have a homeless guy. He needs a cheese pizza, if you could get me one as quickly as possible, I'd appreciate it. Caesar's Pizza turned around and went, is this fast enough? <laughs> and I said, yes. And I paid like $7.50 and I went out and I gave it to him and I said, where would you like to go, you know? And he said, just take me by the library, which made sense to me. And I let him off at the library and that's the last time I ever saw him. So I don't know, he was probably the most politest he had walked from uh, California since wow. March, wow. since March, but he had started off in California. Polite beggar. So, uh, so what was the so so, like, so what was the point of problem. your pizza? You said this. Uh, I, what did you say? The verse said. Well, reread that verse, Proverbs. Oh, in Proverbs, it says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and 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 he will repay him for his deed. So I want you to get a pizza. Oh, there you go. Well, I did. It actually was a big pizza, and I thought about it, and I wondered if that was his strategy because if you get meat on it, that might spoil, and the cheese might last a little longer. I don't know. Like he just might not like pepperoni. Who knows? But she did it. It's the best two points. That's to say that. But you know, I don't usually do that. I mean, I and have people stare me in the face, going, "Give me money," and I go right on by because. There's just a lot of people. Is it unscrupulous or inscrupulous? I don't know. Uh, there are a lot of cheating people out there. I think one needs to be spirit-led because only the Lord knows the intentions of people's hearts and the kind of people they are. Yeah. So you just ask the Lord to give you discernment and be spirit-led about yeah. who to give money to, who to help, who to pick up. Because there's a lot of people in this world. Remember David Pittman? Who? Who? David no. no. Just a minute. Let, let's give the mic to him because I can hardly hear David Pittman, he was a gentleman that used to come here, and his whole ministry was uh, picking up hitchhikers. Oh. And, uh, yes, but it was, he and said. Then he disappeared. <laughs> no, he's, he's oh. still, I still see him on Facebook. <laughs> 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 but, 
David, if you hear this, perhaps, which probably never, apologize. Huh? Send somebody else. But anyway, um, but yeah, he would pray about it and just uh, he wouldn't pick up just anybody, just whatever spirit leads, let him to. But it was his ministry. Yes. You ever pick anyone up in like an orange jumpsuit or anything? <laughs> no. Uh, no. I I think they have laws about that actually. Um, okay. The bottom line here, it, what I think that this is teaching, and it is arguable, is that Christ is pointing out that money in and of itself is not important. It's what you do with it. I mean, because money really isn't useful until you spend it. And as a guy that just retired two years ago, uh, my wife and I have had a lot of heavy conversations about how we're going to manage our budget and when I could retire and how much we're going to make in my retirement annuity based upon what I was bringing in when I was working and can we live within this means and can we have the lifestyle that we would like to maintain and da 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 and, and Oh yeah, and so and 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 there there are just no ends of variables there, and you find yourself sucking down this rabbit hole. That's probably a bad metaphor uh, of how of, of 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 money, and so it becomes really a little obsessive to figure out if you can, you know can I afford this new saw that I really really want, and I'm not sure that I can. You know, uh, can I say something about that? Well. My, my point is that that's God doesn't want us worrying about that. That's what I was going to say. Is that you know Kevin and I are both retired, and so our income was basically cut in half. Mm -hmm. And we're doing okay. Please, no groceries. We're all right. House but, is paid for. We're good. <laughs> yeah, pay for your house first. Yeah, pay for the house first. Yeah. And but, however, in groceries, I was taking my calculator and I had put myself on a budget, which is a good thing. That's a Budgets are good, but I was putting back things because I was like, can't afford that this week. I'll just get this. And God spoke to me, and he said, you get what you need. I supply your needs, not you. And, I mean, he strongly rebuked me for putting that back. Now, it wasn't putting back a bag of chips. It was, you know, it, wasn't, it was something I needed. But I was getting so caught up in trying to budget and control when I'm not the provider and then Judy went and bought Kevin his overly expensive cheese crisps. Those are needed. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I can see that, like, even in, in my business with doing insurance, you know, we've got some different things that, have, that I can, basically, Farmer's bought out another insurance company, and now I can quote auto insurance with two or three different companies. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, sometimes it saves somebody money to do it, sometimes it doesn't. But when you get talking to other agents and their strategy is, okay, I'm going to take that and I'm going to go sell, start selling new policies to some people on this. My strategy is, that's great, I want to do that, but my first obligation is to the people that are already my clients to see if I can save money. And they're going, well, why would you do that? Because that's going to lower your commission check. It's the right thing to do. That, that has to take precedence over um, whatever extra, and, and let God take care of that. And since you it's, are my insurance agent, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's yeah. the right strategy because the very, if, you, if you do that, 
first thing I'm going to do then, and I'm, I'm kidding about that. Let's, the first person, a person, the first thing a person's going to do if you do that to them is recommend your company to somebody else. You will not go wrong by doing that. I think God honors the integrity of their yes. hearts. Yes. Yeah. I think the I think the key verse here is verse eleven, where it says, "Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, which is just the money of this world." Who will entrust the true riches to you? And I think Christ is, I mean, that's where he points at the Pharisees, which is the gospel we just kind of taken on here in the United States of what you said. If, well, that person had money, so they must have been serving God. Right. That person is not is living close to poverty, so what sin do they have? Which is the American gospel, to be quite honest with you. Watch, mm -hmm. watch Christian television. The very last. Watch Christian television. It says, I've heard people say, you know, during times I was financial help, what, what are you doing in your life to not get the finances? Right. And what they're missing out in is on the true riches to where people take the verse, well, God's going to bless you, well, where's my money? No, God's going to bless me with three wonderful children, two wonderful grandchildren. I have three meals a day. I have a roof over my head. Or you get blessed in heaven after you get heaven. there. The yeah. We, we have so <clears throat> pigeonholed what a blessing means in this United States of wealth, car. I, last night I was looking at Facebook where a person was talking about you have unbelief, that's why you don't have money. Mm -hmm. And that's why he said, and you know, God blessed, blessed me with all this money, I, you know, all that. It is, it is, it is a materialistic gospel that yep. we, what we have started taking. And if we go by that gospel, every Christian in Africa in the poverty nations are really not Christians because they're living in poverty. If, if you, they did a, 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 where they took all the Christians all over, all the demographics of all Christians in the world, and they made it to it, what does the typical Christian look like based on the average? Mm -hmm. More Christians live in poverty than live in riches. Sure. So that just blows the Pharisee materialistic gospel we talk about here in the United States to where we would not recommend most, most Christians walk many miles to church because they can't afford any transportation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so true riches in, in and here Christ is saying true riches. He says, you can't, if I can't trust you with the money that I give you, why would I trust you with spiritual riches right. or, the, or things like that? So. I'm glad you said that. I literally turned off some random sermon that was playing on Daystar. I just fell asleep with it on. And it was this old guy who's like, if you don't have money, it's because you don't believe in God. Literally at that moment, I just went, yeah. clicked. Because yeah. that's wrong. Yeah. Well, it just, it just, well, God is trustworthy. Yeah. Um, and I, as I think back to, Clayton and I decided to go plant a church out in oh, Willow Park. <laughs> we felt led of God to go plant a church in Willow Park. We he leaves a full paid associate position, benefits, and everything, Expensive. and we go start a church with nobody, with a hundred dollars a month support from the church we're leaving. So That's we're a very shrewd manager. <laughs> but I, but. Our prayer was, God, we'll show up. We'll go do whatever you need us to do. The only, our only prayer request for ourselves is, please don't let our kids suffer for what we're doing. We don't care if we suffer, but don't let them suffer. That was kind of a prayer we had. Well, the long and the short of it is, we were out there seven years, planted the church and all of that, 
And we, at times, worked two jobs apiece in the church and all of that, worked hard. But God fulfilled that promise many years later. Um, a person who at one point was our neighbor, we hadn't lived next to him in 12 years. When he, and we were there at that church. When he passed away, he left some money for our kids to pay for college for them out of the blue from nowhere and it was it quickened back in my mind what we'd ask God for God just don't let our kids future suffer because of what we're doing I, here I thought you were just well because right when we started because we gave up our my, my salary benefits expense account and there's this and it's a second story and it was our first we, we, crisp, we still hadn't started church we zero income coming from rent she was working state farm and we were like, we don't know what we're going to do for Christmas. And this, the prayer for don't let our kids suffer. I, being the minister, I knew a lot of pre preacher's kids who grew up hating God and hating the church because they suffered because of the call the parents had. Yep. And I did not want to happen that much. This was before you were born, by the way. And so you weren't around yet. <laughs> and we prayed Christmas. Faith and I sit and talk. And we go, well, we'll just skip Christmas between the two of us. We, we, we're going to skip Christmas for the two of us and just concentrate on Christina and Emily. And so we were asked that, so a church in North Fort Worth section calls and says, hey, we heard you're going to start, we have, we have a missions banquet every year, we want you to speak at it. So I went, oh good, we'll at least get a, uh, uh, an honorarium, that'll go towards Christmas. We get there and I get, a, I, I, I'm getting ready to speak and they say, well, the guy goes, you're not speaking. And I'm like, great, he heard my sermon on a tape or something. And he goes, no, we do this every year for some missionary, home missionary, respect. he says, and the doors open up and presents were brought in for our children. <laughs> so, I mean, it's... So, the, it was a ruse, and they basically brought almost 30 gifts apiece for our children. Gift card to Foley's for her, and then they wrote us a check. And again, it was God saying, you go do what I told you to do, and, that, and I like will take that. care of you. It is, it, God says, just do what I do, and I'll do it. And it may not show up in a million-dollar check. We need to get away from that. That, that upsets me so much. Yeah. There are so many blessed... That is a blessing that Christina, Andrew wasn't born yet, Christina, and mostly Christina remembers that, that she remembers God takes care of us. And if we're obedient to him, he will not let us falter. We may not be millionaires, and that's where we got to get away from and that. And you still have to put the work in. And you still have to put the work in. <laughs> you know, because I had the college girl who said, I want a blessing, I'm in so much debt. And she, I think I told this story, I'm in so much debt, I need a miracle. I said, well, I'll pray for a miracle. And she goes, yeah, and in a in conversation, she goes, oh, well, I was offered a job here in town and at a store. And I said, well, did you take it? Well, no, that would be a lack of faith on my part to take the job because I'm believing in the miracle. Got that from a television preacher, by the way. You know, that, that taking the job was, she was denying God's miracle because that's not a miracle to work for the money. Uh, no, I was just listening intently. I wanted to very quickly give a, another example, but God does not always, what we're talking about right now, I think is a rare thing. God doesn't just drop in your lap things, right. you know. But my mother, there's this story, but it's true. My mother was at the kitchen table back when I was probably four years old. And she was, when my mama cried and prayed, you could hear her literally for a block. And she said, Lord, I need $100. I need $100 for my kids for Christmas. 
and there was a knock on the door. Went to the door, total stranger. I think he was a stranger. I don't, they never told me his name. And he said, God told me to come by here and give you $100. And she took it, and I remember we went to Dallas. They used to have an old Sears place there that had the department store in the basement. I, yeah, that's where I used to see Santa. <laughs> and it, 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 the stuff was cheaper. The stuff was cheaper down there, mm -hmm. seconds or whatever. And they bought us three bikes, three bikes for a hundred dollars. So then we went home. I'm going to share the rest of the story. And my brother Robert, who was four years older than me, said, "Well, I know we got something for Christmas today. What'd we get?" And I said, three bikes." And he hit me. So that was, <laughs> you shouldn't have told us that. Now we won't be surprised because he did not realize we got bikes, you know. And I think that was a great point that you made because I think, the, yes, that was a great miracle. But I think the majority of miracles that God does in our lives for faithfulness is you couldn't afford to buy a certain product at the store. And one day you go in, it's on sale for a little bit to where you can afford it. I think the miracles are... Or the AC system lasts longer than it should have at the house, or the... Those are blessings that, you know, because, you know, <laughs> I've driven a car far beyond it should have been driven, and I think that is just as much as a miracle for, from right. God. You know, those little things that, hey, that product I, I needed $50 to buy, I don't have 50 bucks, it's on sale for 40 but I do have 40 I think God works in those ways, too. He does. Something like that actually happened to me, like, yesterday... I was um I was gonna order an NLT Bible, not even an expensive one, like a five dollar one on like Amazon, just like a cheap small print. I like that translation better than most because it's just easy for me to read. And I was like, God, I don't want to spend this money, and he's like, Do it. And I'm like, No, and he's like, Do it, and I'm like, I said no, and then he says, Do it. So I do it, and then two minutes later, a payment went through that wasn't supposed to be here till next month. Okay. Well, I have ten, nine minutes left, and I've got a big intellectual grenade here that we're not going to get through for the nine minutes. But you think? Okay. Verse sixteen: <clears throat> The law and the prophets were proclaimed unto John since that time. The good news, of the kingdom of God, is being preached. And everyone is forcing his way into it. This is Christ speaking. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. So he's basically accusing the Pharisees, because that's who he's talking to, of inserting their interpretation into the law. And then he gets to his point in verse 18. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Period. Okay, now I want everyone in the room to stare at the divorced man in the room. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, just stare, stare at Lester. Okay, okay, now. <laughs> If there's no, like you said, for there's sexual immorality that you can marry if someone else. Yes, sure is. Yeah. But if they're. In case of abuse or someone cheating or that, yeah, normally that's grounds for divorce. I know the 
there's a lot of grounds for divorce was talking about remarriage. I mean, my parents are divorced, but they stayed single. They didn't date well, and get remarried. You know, there's a lot of good reasons for divorce, but he was saying if you get divorced and get remarried, there's no sexual morality, you're committing adultery. You know, I, oh, I empathize, or, and there are all kind of legal but weights involved here, and I'm really not picking on Lester. Yeah, Lester. This gets a lot of, uh, 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 this is a difficult passage. Now, just here's the background before we dig into this. Uh, God doesn't like divorce. God thinks you should get married and stay married, you know. And uh, it, Moses allowed divorce because for sheer practicality of it. it. He had to keep the peace among his people. So they had a legal definition of, of, of divorce where they, where they allowed it. And the, the Jews in, in Jesus' time had taken that little allowance that, jo that Moses left and interpreted it and reinterpreted it and said, yeah, what about, and what about this thing? And by the time it got down to Christ's day, when it in Moses' day, it was about infidelity. But uh, when Christ's day, a man could divorce his wife by taking her to the city gate and publicly decrying, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and then it's legally done. That is all that was required, and he could just take, take, take the wife down to the gate and toss her back. That's all you gotta do. And, and women in Hebrew law were not allowed to own property. They weren't allowed to uh, take most jobs. And honestly, if you were a divorced woman in Hebrew society, your choices were beggar or prostitute. There really isn't another option. And there, are, there have been many societies since Victorian England. It was largely the same situation. Uh, so this is, this is abusive, you know. And, and these, the Pharisees were supporting this system and it was an argument among the Pharisees, you know, under, under what condition can the guy go and yell divorce, divorce, divorce? And, and they would fuss about that because it was so liberal, even the Pharisees recognized that this was abusive toward and, and was creating a whole subclass of women within Hebrew society that were, were causing a problem. It's like they're creating this, this underclass of people. And so they wanted to drop this on Christ because, you know, how are you going to interpret this, Rabbi? You know, why don't you tell us that all the other teachers before us are wrong so that we can attack you on your religious interpretation? And Christ hits it right smack on the nose. And he says, if you divorce your wife and, 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 and marry someone else, you're committing adultery. And if you marry someone who's been divorced, you're committing adultery. And we'll discuss that more next week. Oh, are we, and we're out of time. Same bad time, same yeah. bad channel. I won't be here next week. Oh, no. What will we do? Yeah. I have ideas on this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Well, so does everyone else. I so I think you're pretty good. Ahead. 
All right, Susan, get it. I think that Jesus also said that Moses allowed divorce among the people because of the hardness of men's hearts. Yes. Men's hearts are hard. And uh, as you spoke, you know, a, you know, man was just willing to drop his wife over anything. So Jesus pretty much said in one part, unless there's infidelity evolved, you know, because that's the one condition where God says, okay, the marriage is no longer binding if there's infidelity involved. You know. Can, can I say, I'm not going to be here. I want to take one quick Okay, okay. Go ahead. We have two minutes before I shut this down. If you have something else to say, you go ahead and say it. No, go for it. This hand, is, hand this we you. have to always remember all these things here, what you said, is we have grace. We have grace. These passages, scriptures have been taken to become black and, and boy, I might be a hit for this, black and white. This happens, oh my God, you know, there were people who over the last several centuries have been shunned, have been put into third class categories because they might be of divorce, uh, remarried. Here's the th divorce and remarried people. It's almost like they become a caste state in our churches. That is just as much a sin as the purpose for the reason for the divorce and the remarriage thing. This has become a pharisaical teaching within our churches. Yes, God hates divorce, but it happens. There are abusive men, there are adultery, there's all those kind of things that happen. That this teaching always has to be done with the sense of God's grace covering us. Amen. And with that, we are Good job, Dad. Off. And we will pick this up next week. Goodbye, Internet. <laughs>